Hello. Today we're joined by legendary traveler Tom Girardi from Los Angeles, California. Tom is a graduate of Loyola High School, Loyola University, Loyola Law School, and NYU Law School, where he graduated with an LLM in law. He was formerly the president of the International Academy of Trial Lawyers, the president of the American Board of Trial Advocates, and a stellar trial attorney for the last 50 years. Tom, welcome, and it's a privilege to have you with us today. Hey, Brian, without a doubt, always nice to talk to you. Tom, we're here today to talk about trial lawyers, what they're about, what they can do. We hear so much in the media that criticizes trial lawyers. Tell us, Tom, from your perspective and all the things you've done, why are trial lawyers important? You know what, Brian, that's really a good question. And the real issue is, you know, we trial lawyers, we're supposed to be in the persuasion business. We're supposed to know how to persuade the jurors, the judge, etc. cetera. Uh, the truth of the matter is, we've totally lost in the persuasion business of our image. The, there's a lot of money put out there by, I won't even mention who, but potential uh, people involved in the defensive cases attacking the trial lawyers. And what do trial lawyers do, Brian? The only thing trial lawyers do is to try to help those people who've been harmed by wrongful conduct of somebody else. You know, and for us not to be lauded and said, wow, this is great. Instead, there's an awful lot of bad publicity put out there by the people who don't want to pay the people that they've harmed. Well, well Tom, the clients that you represent, could they go down the street and hire O'Melveny Melvin Ian Myers or hire Gibson, Dunn and Crutcher and pay the rates that they charge to represent them against a big corporation? Brian, it's insanity, isn't it? In other words, what do trial lawyers do? First of all, they put money into the case. And secondly, they put weeks, months, years into the case to help the guy that got hurt. Matter of fact, one of our lawyers just resolved a case against the uh, state of California. And indeed, we got a very nice settlement for the lady uh, just as the trial was starting. But our law firm had put up $500,000 in costs in that case to get it there. And that's the reason that the result turned out great. So the there's no way in the world any of these big firms would even interview these people without them putting up $25,000 for the interview. Well, just 500,000, that's just hiring expert witnesses taking deposition. The, if you were getting paid by the hour, I'm sure it'd be multiples of that. Oh, for sure, right? It'd be uh, $5 million at, at just very nominal rates. Tom, you know, when you develop. Right. So, Tom, lawyers, young lawyers that are getting out of law school that say they want to be a trial lawyer, what advice do you have for them? The advice I would say, Brian, is there's a lot of money in being a trial lawyer. The bad part is it's only $10 an hour because <laughs> it takes so much time to be any good at this. You know, here, you and I have both tried a case or two, without a doubt. And here, it's very easy to reach you on the weekend. It's very easy to reach me after 6 o'clock, et cetera. 
because the truth of the matter is the only way you can really be successful is turning over every stone in these cases. And you do it like nobody else. And uh, I try to do it myself here. But Tom, really, the, what you're saying is the number one thing to be in a successful plant floor is you better be able to work long hours and when you're tired and on weekends and late at night. You know, Brian, yes, but, but you try the case, and I don't care if it's over 20,000 or over 20 million, the jury goes out, the jury rings three times, they have a verdict, and you're about to get your report card. And that jury comes in and they say, we find in favor of the plaintiff. Holy Toledo, Brian, that's worth so much. You did it. You persuaded, you got some, you got a good result for the person that you represent. And you know what? Um, I don't think of the major firms that you mentioned before that they ever have that same warm feeling about they just got the contract done or they just whatever. But the plaintiff trial lawyers, that excitement when that jury says yes is so cool. It's unbelievable. Well, let's drill down on that, Tom, because, you know, you're trying to persuade people. You're trying to pers well, persuade 12 jurors who you don't know anything about till they show up at the courtroom. What are the key aspects of jury selection or Roar Dyer that you think will help a plaintiff lawyer be successful? You know, Brian, this is really a, a great, great question because the cases that go to trial are those cases that if it were a prize fight, it'd be a six to five pick em fight. In other words, when the drunk truck driver runs over the little kid on the sidewalk, that doesn't go to trial, that's settled out of court, et cetera. Those cases that they're really, you know, not much to them, they're resolved or thrown out or whatever. But the cases that go to trial, there are good things to say about both sides good things the defense can bring up, good things the plaintiff can bring up, and what is going to decide that case? The philosophical makeup of the jury is going to be one that is going to be the most important aspect. So I have to get some people on that jury that are going to give us a fair shot. And this is very, very subtle. You know, it's easy. Some juror says, I think there are too many lawsuits and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that guy's gone, and we understand that. And another juror says, well, you know, insurance companies treat people unfairly, and people, well, that juror's gone. The cases that you, the jurors that you want, are those that you can convince are going to look at this thing the way you look at it, who are more or less open. One of the things that you want to do is to ask questions the juror tips his hand a little bit of his philosophical bent. For example, a question, can you be fair in this case? That's been asked about 800 million times. And one guy said no. All the rest of the people said yes. That doesn't, that doesn't do anything. The type of question you need is you want an essay response. You don't want a yes or no response. You know, there could be a lot of damages in this case. What are your views about that? A 
and you want that person to say a sentence or two, which will reveal a little bit of that person's philosophical bent. So I think that the jury selection process is really important, especially on these cases, Brian, that are so close that they could go either way. And it's, the bad part is the one thing that judges do constantly is limit time for Boyd Dyer. They'll uh, say you can go cross-examine an expert for three days. They don't care about that. But to Boyd Dyer, they say, okay, you're entitled to this much time and so forth. So you got to be on your toes to try to make that time really fit to get that person's best personality. The other thing, you want to see those jurors, not just in the courtroom. You want to see how they act outside the courtroom. You want to see which ones gather together and talk and so forth. You also have to make sure that your client isn't doing something stupid, that they're going to hold it against him or hold it against her, making sure that they're always up to their best behavior and instead of, you know, arguing, you know, that the judge shouldn't have done that or whatever, they're watching all that stuff. So it's a, it's a, really a full-time job. I think I've spoken too long, but no, you, you're, you've fact, been, you're great. The, the fact Tom, of the matter is this is really, really important. Okay, Tom, you got, by the way, the important question I'd like to ask you is, whether you not use a jury consultant, do you like to have somebody else there from your firm when you're up there questioning so they can watch what's going on? You know, uh, Ryan, it's crucial. The best jury consultant in the whole world was my dad. He's no longer with us. He would be in the back of the courtroom with an old brown sweater on, just looking at the jurors. Then it'd be 11 o'clock, it's time for a break we would go down standing side by side in the men's room and he would say, juror number five hates you. I said, thanks, Pop. We'd come out and thank and excuse juror number five. It is really important to get the body language of those jurors. And you must have somebody, not even at counsel table, because they, they'll be more guarded. Somebody in the front row without a coat and tie on looking at the body language of those jurors. Because when I'm talking to juror number six, that juror is guarded in his responses and the way he's looking at me. He's not shrugging his shoulders. He's not saying no. He's not rolling his eyes. On the other hand, juror 12 maybe is doing that. So I have to have somebody in that courtroom looking at those jurors. No, Brian, we have another expert that we've used this particular expert is a face expert. You have 44 muscles in your, in your face that go directly to the skin. All the other muscles in your body go to bone. And those muscles react a brief second before you say something. And a lot of times they tell me what the juror is really thinking as opposed to maybe what the juror says. So I think this jury selection process on these cases is so vital. It's the whole ballgame, without a doubt. Well, that, that was excellent points that you made there. And Al Girardi was the greatest jury consultant ever. But Tom, now you got your jury. 
you're going to give your opening statement. Are you going to lay out your whole case? Are you going to save some stuff? What's your philosophy in that regard? You know, Brian, it really depends what the statu- what the stature of the case is. Let's suppose it's a case that you need a million dollars on, and they're at seven fifty, and it's a case maybe you could lose. I want to maybe lay everything out to see if that will persuade the two insurance people in the audience, hey, maybe we better pay the million. Generally speaking, though, and I think you and I are the same here, I want to keep the good stuff in my back pocket. And the other side of this, I want to bring out the bad stuff. If the first time this jury ever hears some bad part of the case is the second week of trial, it's very devastating. So what you want to do in this opening statement, I think, is to certainly present the view of your case. Secondly, you want to, maybe if there's some, a bad aspect to it, maybe one of their experts said something, but that expert uh, made other mistakes. I may bring that out, say, you know, I think they're gonna call this particular expert, and he's gonna say this and this. On the other hand, it's really disappointing because he's given other testimony totally contrary to that. Normally, this is something you keep in your back pocket because you want to you want to save things. But I want that jury at the end of opening statements by both sides to be in my corner. You know, Brian, we did this on two cases. <clears throat> we had two friendly judges and two friendly defense counsel. And we had a little form filled out that the jurors had. And it says, I will not make up my mind until all the evidence is in. But if I had to vote right now, I would favor the plaintiff or the defendant. And they would check a box after jury selection. They would check a box after opening statement. They would check a box after argument. And then we know how they finally ruled. Well. Obviously, this isn't something that could be done, but for the fact the defense lawyer thought it'd be interesting and the judge thought it'd be interesting. And lo and behold, 85% of the jurors after opening statement ended up voting the same way as they indicated they were leaning after opening statement. Pretty interesting, huh? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting, Tom. Let me ask you this. You got a lot of lawyers out there that, hey, it's not an easy deal. They're, you know, they're practiced, they're busy, they're running up costs for experts and then overhead. And they have a case that that's a good case, but there's an offer being made that's not enough, but you know, they have to pay bills, they like to get the client some money, and they're facing a case they could lose, as you say, six to five. What do you say to them about being afraid to try the case or trying to settle the case? You know what, Brian, they owe a total duty to the client. And it's not dependent upon their pocketbook. It's not dependent on even the time that they have to put in it. They committed when they signed this case up that they were going to give their all to the client. And indeed, we make some good points. And there are some young lawyers out there that, quite honestly, there's no way in the world they could come up with $100,000 for costs etc. And I think good lawyers 
you know, refer cases to firms like yours and firms like ours, et cetera, because that becomes necessary to really put the proper money in the case, the proper time in the case to get the right result. And I think more and more young lawyers, as they're confronted with the long time it takes from the beginning of the case to the end of the case, and also knowing the whole attitude of insurance carriers uh, to do everything they can to beat you up and nothing about truly resolving the matter. I think more and more younger lawyers come to that view. Well, Tom, you, you make some excellent points there, but I'm a young lawyer, let's say, and I want to be an experienced trial lawyer. They're offering me money. I either refer to someone else or I have to settle it or try. How do I get trial experience? Well, Brian, that young lawyer has to go to you has to go to me and say, hey, listen, I need, I need help in this case. You guys have many experts that can really help us. You guys have, fortunately, enough money to do it. But I got to be a part of this because after a year or two, I want to be Brian Panish. I want to be the, the good trial lawyers out there. So I want to learn by it. And I think most young lawyers given the opportunity to really participate, to learn the, the good experts, to see the, uh, how experts are prepared for depot and trial, et cetera, really learn a lot. And I think that that becomes a massively important thing for young lawyers. Don't just send over the case. You want to be a partner in this case, and you want to be the next Brian Panish. Well, I, I'm, that's not that hard to do, Tom. But let me let me ask you this: What you've been practicing law over fifty years? You've you've seen the ups, the downs, the fights on the tort reform, the legislative change, the court changes. Where do you see the plaintiff personal injury practice going for the next twenty years? And what's important for the lawyers to do to maintain the rights of their clients? You know what, Brian? It's very disappointing that plaintiff's lawyers do not truly understand the political issues. <clears throat> Excuse me. The fact of the matter is there are all sorts of bills up there being brought by corporate America to do everything to harm the injured person. And if we do not go forth and try to help those people, it will be fair to the injured people, to the people who are killed because of bad conduct, people who are totally maimed, if we don't put people in our corner to look at things that way, we're really stupid. The fact of the matter is there are some races up there in California coming up. This one person who's running was selected by Trump, is running for governor, and his whole play is to massacre the trial lawyers in every possible way, put caps on damages. I could go through 40 things that they have in preparation for us. So I think lawyers have to become a little smarter in terms of seeking out and helping those people that philosophically look at things the same way we do. The people that are injured by defective products, the people that are injured by bad conduct, etc., do have a way to make their lives whole again. And that's the one thing the trial bar has failed miserably, I believe. I know there are people like you that are not that way, and 
are very, very supportive of those people that want to give injured people a fair shot. But I think the trial bar has got to get off its buns and start doing the same thing. I, I mean, I totally agree with you, Tom. I've been inspired by everything you've done in politically and other things. Let's talk about bar associations. I mean, some people think they're a waste of time. You've been president, national president of two huge uh, groups. You're a member of many other prestigious groups. Why is it important for young lawyers to get involved in bar or trial lawyer organizations? You know, Brian, uh, strike the young. It, it's important for all of us. Brian, you and I have been around a long time. We've tried a lot of cases. We know a lot of stuff. But gosh darn it, every time there's one of these seminars, I learn something. You learn something. You, you know 90% of it. But there's one little issue you pick up. Gosh darn it, that's pretty good. So then as a, either a younger lawyer or a lawyer who hasn't been practicing as long as we have, those, those particular things are vital. There are a whole bunch of issues that keep coming up that unless we have the ability to understand those issues, boy, we're toast. Tom, we so see. I think that, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I cut you off. We're, we're on the, go ahead. Go ahead and finish. You no, I, uh, uh, that's the thought. And it's massively important to be part of all these organizations that you can get into. Obviously, to get into many of them is very difficult. You and I share the membership in the inner circle, and there are only 100 of us there. So you don't really get into that too quickly. And the American Board of Trial Advocates have strict requirements about your ethics, your civility, and the number of cases you've tried. But indeed, you've got to get into those organizations. The California trial lawyers, the LA trial lawyers, et cetera because you learn so much. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Tom. I see you at seminars, inner circle, eight in the morning out there sitting in the front row listening, trying to learn as I am too. Uh, we don't know it all and we certainly all can learn more. As we change, as time goes on though, and we're all these partisan attacks and you know, Republicans versus Democrats and this conservatives versus liberals, where's the trial lawyer? What is their role gonna be in this whole process? Well, you know, I don't think it's necessarily liberal versus conservative. It is to a certain extent. I think certainly more Democrats look at the issues we have and think they're correct than conservative Republicans. But there are a lot of Republicans that are also in favor of fairness. And you see that happen in some of these legislative matters that come up. Gee whiz, you know, this is, this is something that people really need, et cetera. But it's got to be up to us to start helping those people get elected. That's all there is to it. And if we don't, we'll have another administration the way it is right now, uh, which is obviously a disaster. And, and I think what you're saying, Tom, is people are not doing what they need to do for their clients. And as a result, we're seeing what happens. Brian, there's no question about it. And not just the presidency or not just the governor, but all these assembly races and Senate races, these are massively important 
because they're the people that are going to rule that no one can ever get more than $250,000 on any case, not just medical malpractice. Can you imagine something so harmful? The medical malpractice insurance carriers make more money pro rata than any other insurance, auto, homeowners, whatever. And here, a victim of medical malpractice gets $250,000 max, no matter if his damages are 20 million. And who then has to help that family, namely the taxpayers? You and I have to, because the person who caused it walks away for nothing. So to let legislation like this get involved, et cetera, without, a, without our proper look is really disgusting. And Brian, I love the trial bar as you do, but man, we've done awful in this area. Well, Tom, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'd love to encourage everyone to continue to do that, but we're out of time. We could talk for hours, but I'm so honored and privileged to have you here with us today, Thomas Vincent Girardi, and thanks for all you do. And I know you'll continue to fight for all your clients and helping all of us out there. Thank you Brian, so much, Tom. I have a goal, Brian. <laughs> okay. What was your goal? Uh, I have a goal, Brian. Tell I us. want to be half as good as Brian Panish. That's oh. my goal. Well, I got a long way to go to be catch up to Thomas Vincent Girardi, but I'm just honored to call you a friend and a colleague. And thank you so much, Tom. Thanks, Brian. Goodbye, right. you guys.